Well, today, today we're going to start a little bit on the book of Acts. I thought uh, that, oh no, let me do this, do that, and oh, talk about the spies and all that. But no, we're going to begin Acts, because in our Torah study, we will talk all about the, the uh, Torah portion. So you can tell your grandchildren that you were here on the day that we began our uh, study of uh, the book of Acts in the Brit Chadashah. Okay. Very good. You know, Acts is one of those books that, uh, in, in a way, it's like the Rodney Dangerfield of New Covenant uh, books. You know, it doesn't get the respect uh, that it deserves. We don't usually uh, think of Acts when we're I mean, just looking for something encouraging to read, you know, in the New Covenant, or, uh, you know, a famous uh, uh, doctrinal passages, you know, uh, for God so loved the world, you know, that he gave his only begotten son, that who should ever believe in him should not perish but have eternal life, or, uh, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and, you know, those great verses, and they're, they're in other, other places, and uh, and boy, you know, there, there are uh, lots of other, other things we could, uh, looking for like really uh, sizzling words about the future, we can read the book of Revelation and uh, things of that nature. But the book of Acts is indeed a very, very important part uh, of the, uh, the Brit Hadashah. I don't know if we are uh, familiar or not familiar uh, with it, but it is actually part two of a larger volume, right? Uh, it is actually, uh, uh, do you ever get like a two set, you know, kind of, uh, remember when you used to send away for books, you know, sometimes they'd come in like book one, book two. Like, I remember the uh, Abraham Heschel's The Prophets. In fact, I have, uh, I have the volume of it that's these little paperbacks, uh, uh, book one, book two. Well, uh, the book of Acts, it didn't start out being called the book of Acts. It actually didn't even have a name. But it was part two of the, uh, the origins of the faith uh, by none other than Luke, Okay. Uh, when you read, uh, for example, the beginning. In fact, you can turn there. We'll look there a couple of times here. Uh, if you turn to the Gospel of Luke at the very beginning, the first few verses of the Gospel of Luke is really an introduction to Luke and Acts. Okay? Uh, and it's important, actually, to read it that way. And even the first two chapters in particular, the first two chapters of Luke serve as a wonderful introduction to uh, the rest of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So the very beginning of Luke, it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, you want to notice he counts himself as one of those people, that's kind of important, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word have handed them down to us, so uh, we see that he uh, understood that Luke was not one of the original eyewitnesses, uh, but that he uh, has uh, uh, gotten this information 
uh, and, uh, you know, and compiled it. Okay? It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it uh, out for you in consecutive order. Isn't that great? Boy, it's a great introduction. So he says, Luke is saying, I wasn't there at the beginning, uh, but, I, uh, but I've been there. I'm, I'm uh, as we'll see in Acts, uh, in certain places in Acts, and in uh, Colossians, Luke is mentioned as Paul's physician. Uh, and uh, there's a number of good reasons to believe that he wrote it. Uh, some believe that it was someone else. Many believe it was Luke for a variety of reasons, and we'll hit those reasons as we work our way through uh, uh, Acts. But anyway, uh, so he says, uh, I investigated it, I talked to people, I got eyewitnesses accounts, and I, and I took my own understanding, and I wrote it all out in order. Okay, wrote it all out in order. Uh, and then uh, we see who he's uh, writing to right? Most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the exact truth about the things you have been taught, okay? So people wonder, who was Theophilus? The, the name means lover of God, okay? Lover of God. There are some who would say that it's sort of like a generic term, you know, lovers of God, whoever you are out there, uh, this is for you. Some would say that, Others uh, might say that it is a pseudonym for somebody famous, you know, uh, uh, high up in the Roman government, uh, and that he, he's uh, using a pseudonym, uh, uh, a name that isn't really the person's name, but someone who is investigating the claims uh, of the Messiah, okay? Uh, but most people, I think, would say that because it says most excellent Theophilus, that it's somebody that it is uh, uh, somebody important, probably a Roman, probably someone in Rome, uh, perhaps a decision maker in Rome, but nobody knows exactly. Uh, but uh, uh, giving him the, the, uh, the honor of most excellent. And what's interesting is Josephus, uh, at the beginning of one of his books, uh, against Appian? I think that's the name. Uh, at the beginning, dedicates the volume to someone by the name of, uh, I think, Epaphroditus, most excellent one. So it seems that it could simply be an honor given to someone. But in this case, uh, Luke is the occasion for the writing of it. The reason for writing Luke and Acts is to write out what happened in order, because evidently there's a lot of stuff going around, you know? And so I, uh, Luke is pretty meticulous in, in saying this is uh, what happened. Now, if you turn to the beginning of Acts, the very beginning, look what we see right at the beginning of Acts. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Yeshua began to do and teach this is, he's talking about the Gospel of Luke, okay? The book of Luke, that's what he's talking about. He's writing another volume to the same person, okay? The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Yeshua began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles 
whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive. This is very important. <laughs> okay? To those he also presented himself alive after the suffering by many convincing proofs. By the way, if you were around in the uh, 1970s, uh, maybe on a college campus, and you were a believer in Messiah, I can't remember the author's name, but somebody wrote a book called Many Convincing Proofs. And it was, uh, it was like a really big uh, seller uh, to campus uh, kind of, uh, you know, Messiah followers, kind of new in the faith, with uh, like an apologetic of, uh, or a defense of the faith, of, uh, of how we know Yeshua is the Messiah, okay? Many convincing proofs. Appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And we'll talk more about that uh, a little bit uh, in, in a few minutes. But I wanted just to show you to compare the beginning of Luke and the beginning of Acts. Volume 1 and Volume uh, 2, written to the same person. I, I, you have the order of events of Yeshua's life. That's in, in Luke. In Acts, he refers to that, the first account that I composed, about all that Yeshua began to do and teach. Very, very important. From the point of view of the author, from the point of view of Luke, Yeshua is alive when he's writing it, you know? When he's writing it, Yeshua is alive. Uh, and in the good news part, in the biography part, uh, you have what Yeshua began to do and teach. And then in the book of Acts, you have what he continued, what he continued and continues to do and teach. Okay? Uh, and it's very important at the beginning of Acts that he says that Yeshua is alive. And that is also very important because we will see, especially in the first few chapters, that there's this repetition of reminding the people that he's dead, that he was dead, of reminding the people that he, uh, uh, you know, the, the one whom you crucified, right? Uh, he doesn't say, he doesn't repeat that over and over again to like stick it to them, so to speak. He says that over and over again to remind them that you remember he was dead, but he is indeed now uh, alive. Okay, so the purpose in writing all of this is to show uh, how uh, Yeshua, uh, where he came from, how he was born, lived, uh, did ministry, uh, taught, died, rose from the dead, appeared to his uh, disciples, taught them many things, ascended to the right hand of, of the Father, and now continues to reign. And so, what the book of Acts is, is the continuation, is the reign of Yeshua, the beginning of it, the beginning of, uh, of the, uh, the history uh, of uh, Yeshua at uh, the right hand of the Father, okay? So, then the question is, uh, we might ask, when, when does it take place? Well, we know that certainly, uh, not about when it was written, but when, it, when does it take place, the things that are being written about? Those are two different things, 
Okay? So when is it being written about? Uh, well, certainly in the life of Yeshua, in the Gospel of Luke, that takes place uh, from the beginning of his life to, you know, 32, 33, uh, 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 CE, common era, or AD, after the, you know, uh, after the, the death of Yeshua, that's what AD is. So uh, the, the uh, life of, uh, of, of Yeshua takes place during his life. The book of Acts, when does it take place? It all probably takes place sometime before 64, okay? 64, 65, the 60s, a turbulent decade, okay? Uh, and uh, probably it is because it makes sense that it's before Nero and before the destruction of the temple. Paul is a Roman citizen, and he appeals to Caesar, okay? Uh, and so probably it's before the great and terrible Nero, uh, because appealing to Caesar would not have been uh, such a bright thing to do, uh, you know, uh, at that time, uh, right? So it's probably then. Now, when was it written? When was it written? Ah, that's, that's an interesting story. No one really knows exactly when it was. It might have been written uh, in the 60s, but perhaps it was written after uh, the principal people were deceased, uh, but Luke perhaps still alive, where he writes, sort of writes uh, about Paul and about James and about Peter. You know, perhaps it's sort of like a retrospective of their, of their lives. But uh, we're not quite sure uh, exactly. Some say it was in the 60s. Others, others would say uh, written uh, a little bit uh, later. What's interesting is that it can't be written too much later because uh, by the time you get really into the second century, like a hundred and following, okay, we have the beginnings of uh, the formation of where all these different writings would be in the Brit Harasha, in the New Covenant, right? So I, I, even though Luke and Acts are like, you know, uh, peas and carrots there, you know what I mean, one after the other, that they became separated in the formation of the order of the books, so the earliest uh, that we have is the four, the four Gospels were placed uh, together. So Luke, got, the book of Luke got separated from Acts in that way. But uh, Acts always came after the four. It's always the fifth, the, uh, the, the fifth uh, 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 book uh, of the Brit Harashah. And it makes sense because you have the life of Yeshua in the four uh, Gospels, and then you have the continuation after. What is interesting and what helps us in even understanding the purposes of the book of Acts is to understand how the other books of the Brit Harashah were laid out at the beginning. Because I don't know if you are uh, aware of this, uh, but Paul's writings ori originally didn't come after the book of Acts. James came after the book of Acts. And 1 Peter. And 2 Peter. And even Jude. And then you had, this was also a grouping of Paul's uh, letters, okay? So it's very interesting why, perhaps, I'm not going to get into why it got changed. That's another story. But, uh, but why James comes after, in the original order of the books, why James would come after the book of Acts. 
And that has to do with the purpose of Luke and Acts. Because when you put Luke and Acts together, it's like a quarter of the New Covenant. It's very, very, very weighty and very, very important. Okay? So when we talk about the, 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 not the occasion for the writing, but the purpose of it, what's going on in it, okay? What we see uh, here is, uh, is first, uh, that Luke is giving a record, right, of the, the witness, the apostolic witness of Yeshua's ministry, his word, deeds, sufferings, triumph, uh, and things of, of that nature. But when we come to uh, the book of Acts, we see the progress of this good news. And it is no coincidence that the events are taking place uh, in, uh, in Jerusalem. It's no coincidence that it's on Shavuot that the Spirit of God is poured out. It's no coincidence that in the list of who's, who's there, that yes, there's a, there's a few, uh, a, a, it says Arabs and Cretans, but the vast majority uh, of the people that were there were Jews from the diaspora who were in Jerusalem, okay? From places that would have been, uh, in earlier times, the northern kingdom of Israel, called Israel, and the southern kingdom called uh, called uh, Judah, right? Uh, and so what we see, what, what Luke is bringing out at the, in uh, Acts is the beginning of the restoration of the remnant of Israel. The beginning of the restoration of the remnant of Israel. And they receive the pouring out of the Ruach. Not for just, just themselves, but indeed for the salvation of the world. But Luke is bringing out the fact that you have to have a restoration of Israel, of the kingdom of Israel, in order for there to be a restoration of the nations. Okay? Now, this is not opposed to what we read in the book of Romans, where Paul says, because of their transgression, salvation has come uh, to, uh, to the Gentiles. I no. I Paul is looking at it from one point of view, but Luke is looking at it uh, from another point. Paul is looking at it more from wow, it's an it's an amazing thing that we didn't understand that God is doing. Luke is talking from the perspective of yes, this is exactly what God said was going to happen, and this is how it's unfolding. See, and so uh, he focuses uh, just even the way that Acts is laid out. You have events taking place in Jerusalem, and then uh, uh, among the Jerusalem Jews, and then the Hellenistic Jews, and then the nations. And it's like progress. And, one, and what Luke is pointing out is, is that the calling of Israel doesn't have to be completed for the nations to receive the, the message, but it has to be in progress. It has to be happening. And that's what Luke is pointing out. That's why it's no coincidence later on in Acts, in the 21st chapter, that we read when Paul comes to Jerusalem, we read out of the mouth of James what a robust congregation we have in Jerusalem. 
That's, that's very important. That the congregation in Jerusalem is, is growing and moving forward and, and uh, you know, people coming to faith because it is intrinsically related to the nations uh, coming to know the Lord. This is why when Paul goes from town to town, what does he do? He goes to the synagogue first. Somebody open your eyes here today. Okay, okay, good. All right. So anyway, I couldn't help myself. Okay. But anyway, uh, he goes from uh, town to town, and the first thing that he does is he goes to the synagogue. All right? Uh, he goes to the synagogue. Uh, and sometimes he's received, other times he's not. Right? Uh, but what's interesting, and I don't want to take the time to turn to these passages, but you'll see, because we're going to look at each one of them, uh, that he'll, he'll do something like, he'll be upset, he'll, he'll shake the dust off his feet, and he says, now I'm turning to the Gentiles. But old habits die hard. And then you see, the very next place he goes is to the synagogue, even after he says that, <laughs> right? Uh, and, uh, and so you see that this is like a model that Luke is bringing out. He brings it out in the macro and then in the micro uh, as well. Uh, and, uh, and, and so these are some of the great uh, lessons uh, that we learn uh, from the, the, book of, uh, the book of Acts. Okay? But I want us uh, right now for a second here to go back to the beginning of Luke. Because in order to really appreciate what's happening in the book of Acts, we have to appreciate some things about the book of Luke. And it's basically what's at the beginning and what's at the end. <laughs> okay? I would encourage you, if you're here today, I'm going to be real bold. I've, I've, already, I've already been real bold, but I'll be even bolder. If, uh, if you're here today and you are a Jewish and you have, uh, you're here, you know that, okay, this is a place about Yeshua, but you're not quite sure. I would encourage you, or I would challenge you to read the first two chapters of Luke. The first two, just the first two chapters, without all the baggage. Without the baggage. You have to try to do that, you know? And tell me something in there that is not the normative Jewish expectation of the coming of the Messiah. You're going to find it hard to find, to find that, okay? Because Luke writes very much about this is what was promised and this is indeed what's happening. Luke, uh, uh, Paul writes more about, wow, we didn't expect it to unfold exactly this way. But Luke is much more uh, about tying together uh, the Tanakh uh, and, uh, and Yeshua in very basic promise and fulfillment. Now, <clears throat> the reason that he does this, there's another reason that he, that he does, other than just to tell people, that there was a challenge uh, in the early second century to the belief that the Tanakh should be part of the quote-unquote Christian Bible. Okay, You know, that was a decision that was made that the Tanakh would be part of the canon of the Bible of Messiah followers, okay? But there was a challenge. There was a challenge to the authenticity, believe it or not, of the apostles except for Paul. There was a challenge even to the relationship of the God of Israel to the Father uh, in the Brit Hadashah. So there was this person. His name was Marcion, right? 
Uh, and he, was a, he uh, had quite a following. And without going into all the detail, uh, basically what I just said, it was his challenge. And so to counter the challenge, perhaps Luke is writing very specifically about how, you, how Yeshua is the unfolding of the promise of the God of Israel. And also in Acts, to pay attention to Peter and John. Because it's interesting, you know, eventually the name of that, the name of that, the history book of the Brit Chadashah became called the Acts of the Apostles. But if you read it, you know that it's mostly the Acts of Paul, right? Now, there was a, there's another version of the title that was called the Acts of All the Apostles. That was a little over the top because we don't read about the Acts of All the Apostles. But the motivation for giving it that title, and probably the motivation for giving it the title, the Acts of the Apostles, is to counter this idea that it's only, Paul was the only one who had the truth, you know? Uh, and, and then the way that Luke and Acts is laid out uh, is written to counter this idea that there's a difference between the God of the Tanakh and, uh, the, uh, and the Father of Yeshua. And he does a very good job of this, especially uh, at, at the beginning of Luke. For example, when you read, uh, when you read about uh, the statement to uh, Miriam, Mariam, Mary, right? About uh, what's going to happen. It's, it's very important when, when we read the words, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Yeshua. Now, he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. That comes right out of a combination of 2 Samuel and the book of Daniel and, and other places. That he'd be the king of Israel forever. That he is the king of Israel. That's who he is. And then when you go uh, into the second, uh, at the end of the first chapter, the end of the first chapter, uh, especially when Zacharias, the father of Yohanan, the father of uh, John the Immerser, when he speaks, in verse 68 of uh, Luke chapter 1, it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. <laughs> That's pretty intentional, isn't it? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Make no mistake of who we're talking about, right? Okay? For he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. We read that, that term in 1 Samuel. In the house of David, his servant. He has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And we can just stop, stop there for our, for our purposes. He's quoting a variety of passages from the Tanakh about the expectations of uh, who the Messiah would be. Uh, what's, uh, what we'll see in the book of Acts is how Yeshua's uh, uh, kingdom is different 
than their expectation of how this would take place, of how Yeshua's kingdom would would come to be and and exist. Then in chapter 2, it's very interesting that you have this Jewish man, Shimon, Simeon, right? Uh, And it says uh, uh, here, uh, beginning in verse uh, uh, 26 of chapter 2, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, by the Ruach HaKodesh, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when uh, the parents brought in the child Yeshua to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him by the arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Uh, That is exactly how the Tanakh, that is exactly how the prophets depict the Messiah, the glory of Israel and a light of revelation, indeed, uh, uh, to the nations. And so when we come uh, back uh, to, uh, to the book of Acts, that is uh, indeed how this is portrayed. At, now, at the, at the, uh, as Yeshua being the king, that's why, as we will say, and as I've been saying for a number of weeks, actually, that Yeshua ascending to the right hand of the Father is absolutely imperative. This is him taking his seat on the throne. But the nature of this kingship is what's a little different. And that is what he will uh, explain as it, as, it, um, as it unfolds. Now notice also, if you go back to Luke, at the, very begin- at the very end of Luke, you can't help but go back and forth. That's how it's going to be. Uh, at the end of Luke, you might want to just keep your finger there because we might even go back there one more time. At the very end of, of Luke, okay, notice uh, he says in verse 49, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city of Jerusalem, okay, in the city, until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came about that while he was blessing them, he parted from them. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. So then at the beginning of Acts, this is exactly... What is, uh, what is taking place, right? Uh, in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1, And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And of course, we read in the book of Matthew, in the third chapter, that's exactly what John says also is going is, uh, is going uh, to happen, okay? Okay, so when it comes to, we talked a lot about the occasion of the writing, why it's written, and just to list now, like in order, a number of these purposes, Yeshua is the fulfillment of the prophetic word. He's the fulfillment of the prophetic word. There is an organic relationship between a Tanakh and the coming of the Messiah, Okay. Also, the, to demonstrate, to show, to narrate the beginning of the Olam Haba, evidenced by the Ruach being poured out. 
Luke is demonstrating, showing that the life of Yeshua continues with the ushering in of the beginning of the world to come. Olam haba is the Jewish way to say that, the world to come, or the, 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 the kingdom of, of God, the continuation of the Davidic uh, kingdom, as we shall see, okay? But in a new form. The beginning of the restoration of Israel promised by the prophets. The relationship of the restoration of Israel to the salvation of the nations. As a defense of the gospel, as a defense of the faith, uh, Luke includes a number of speeches in particular. Now, I'm going to be teaching an MSI class on these, all these speeches in Acts. And we'll be talking more about uh, some, some of the background material that we've talked about. Those speeches demonstrate a defense of the good news to three basic groups of people. I mean, you could even say more if we were going to really be picky, but three basic groups of people. Jews, nations, Gentiles, and civil authorities. Isn't that interesting? That the speeches, all the speeches and acts, are, are, are speeches to Jews, Gentiles, and civil authorities about the reality of the coming of the Messiah. And what we see in it, by the way, is sort of like a mirroring of the life of Yeshua. It's like Yeshua's life continues in the apostles. How do we see it? Misunderstood, uh, persecuted, arrested, but not being able to actually come up with a real charge uh, of uh, sedition or you know something like that. And so it's kind of interesting. You know, in Yeshua's life, he's never really charged with anything. Uh, basically, uh, Pilate executes him as a, a way of uh, placating people, right? And, uh, I, and so you'll see in the speeches, especially Paul's speeches to the civil authorities, they pass them on from one to the other because they can't figure out what do we charge him with, you know? He's not healthy for us, but we can't really charge him with anything. And, uh, and so you kind of see like Yeshua's life lived out in the, uh, in the apostles. And this is a mirror indeed uh, for us, no doubt, right? Yeshua's life lived out in us. Uh, the restoration of Israel continues. And of course, this is like our bread and butter, right? Uh, we, we live it out. We embody this idea of the remnant of Israel being intrinsically necessary for the salvation of the nations. It's not just something that we teach. It's, we actually live it out. You know, these scholars... Some of these scholars who we've had come, they love us because it's like they're writing about these ideas. And then they say, wow, it's like, it's like reality somewhere. You, you know, it's actually like demonstrated. We take it for granted, but we never really, uh, we never should. Okay. Uh, and then, of course, um, uh, I guess we could, we, uh, we could also say that God was also using Peter and John to bring the message to, to Israel. The first 10 chapters, that's uh, pretty, uh, you know, pretty important. And also to help uh, to uh, solidify the calling of Paul. You know, in the letters that he writes, he defends himself a lot. I don't know if you ever noticed that. He defends himself a lot. But in the book of Acts, we have the, uh, the account of how he became an apostle uh, and, uh, and the background of a lot of those letters. The background of a lot of those letters. Uh, we see the beginning of the congregation at Ephesus, uh, at Philippi, of Corinth, uh, Thessalonica, and, and others. And it's very helpful 
uh, for us to read these accounts in Acts to understand what Paul is driving at, you know, uh, in these uh, in these uh, letters. Uh, there's a few other words of introduction that we'll get. I'll just say a couple of things now, and then we'll finish up. And that is, um, in the book of Acts, most of it is uh, written in the third person. You know, uh, this is what they did. This is what he did, and so on. But there's three different places, three different sections, where it's in the first person plural. We, we, we. Uh, and uh, that is understood to be Luke's uh, a participation. So we'll talk about that in case you had that burning question. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, so one last big thing we want to say. Looking at Acts chapter 1 and verses 1 to 3, taking another look just at the first three verses. Let me just say, some of you that have studied this, you might say, oh, you didn't say this, you didn't say that. You take, take an MSI class on the speeches and acts, and we'll say more, okay? Uh, but it serves as a, a pretty good introduction, I think, to, to what's being accomplished here. Uh, it's basically a messianic look at acts, not just, oh, acts is written, so of course we know that the, that the Holy Spirit got poured out, you, you know, and the church began. That, you know, that, that, that's generally speaking how you hear it. But that is not the way it is in the text. It's about the restoration of Israel for the purpose of uh, bringing this message to the nations, what Israel was, was, was uh, uh, called to. And we'll see it uh, very clearly. Okay. So uh, when he says here, uh, again, in Acts uh, chapter 1, we talked about the beginning. We talked about how he's referring to Acts. We talked about... Uh, Theophilus, uh, and about how uh, Luke is, to, is understood sort of as what Yeshua began to do and teach. Now it's what he continues to do and teach, okay? And then we have until the day he was taken up, uh, after that, uh, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom, uh, whom he had uh, chosen. And so it is uh, interesting that he mentions the Ruach here, because in the Gospels, and definitely in Luke, we read about the Ruach at work, okay? Uh, in fact, well, in John chapter 20, Yeshua breathes on them, breathes on them, and they receive the Ruach, right? And that, that's, uh, that's what we read, uh, that's what we read there. What happens in the second chapter of Acts is a particular kind of anointing that has never taken place before, but that continues to this very day, okay? All right. Then, uh, you know, when um, uh, in, in the Gospel of Luke, everybody's filled with the Spirit. You read that in the womb, John is filled with the Spirit. You read Mary's filled with the Spirit. You read that uh, Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. You read that Zacharias is filled with the Spirit. They're all filled with the Spirit, okay? And they're prophesying. They're, they're telling truth about Yeshua, Right? So there's a lot of activity. It's like, it's like the entire time, the entire, from the beginning of all of the gospel accounts, it's like the beginning, it's like the unfolding of something. So we see the Ruach is beginning to uh, manifest himself in varieties of ways. And it's kind of like all leading up to the second chapter of Acts. Okay? It's all uh, connected. All right? 
When Yeshua is in the wilderness, he's filled uh, with the Spirit. When he is immersed, the Spirit of God comes upon him. Uh, so, uh, you know, very, uh, uh, very important. And uh, by the way, in, uh, and I'll mention this again later on, in the 12th chapter of Luke, that's where Yeshua says, it's in verses 11 and 12, that's where he says, you know, when they bring you to synagogues and they're going to challenge you, don't worry about what to say. Because the Ruach will tell you what to say. You know, isn't that interesting? That's exactly what happens in, in, in Acts. It's exactly what happens all throughout Acts. It's like what Yeshua says would take place. When he tells the apostles, this is what's going to happen. This is what you're going to experience. This is part two, the book of Acts, right? Okay. Uh, and of course, uh, he gave them orders and so on. Uh, what to, you know to, to stay in Jerusalem and and to wait uh, for the promise of the father. see the promise is the big moment the the this a, a new uh, indwelling anointing whatever terminology you you want to use that demonstrates the beginning of the olam haba in earnest you know what I mean huh, in earnest that's like a double entendre that's okay okay then in verse three when it says to these he also presented himself alive. That's in the 24th chapter of Luke, right? You read there. I was going to read the verses, but we don't have time. Read the 24th chapter of Luke. You'll see he appears to them, that he disappears from them, but he appears to them. He eats with them. He talks to them. He has fellowship with them over the course of these 40 days, right? And then not only that, he also has scars, in his resurrection body, which is like a whole series of teachings in and of itself, right? Uh, in other words, he doesn't have some kind of like uh, uh, Greek mythological kind of body, you, you know, when he's raised from the dead. He has, he has those marks that he always will have forever, right? Okay, so, I, you know, so he appears to them in, in, that, in that way. And then he teaches them. He teaches them during that period of time. And I'll just say this about the teaching. In uh, Luke 24, and we always bring this out in our Torah uh, course, uh, in Luke 24, in verse 44, when he says, um, you know, just before that, it says, and he took it, he ate before he ate, he was with them, he, was, he had a real body, right? And so Luke is bringing all this out. But in verse 44, it says, now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, and all things which are written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Okay? I, and, and so, I, again, this organic relationship of Yeshua to the Tanakh. Right? And so he's teaching them during this 40 days. Then he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And then when the Ruach is poured out, now it like, it's almost like getting a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. And, and it's like you go bam, and then all the pieces just fall like into place. And then in the second chapter, Peter will begin to explain what's going on. But I wanted to point out that when he talks about the Tanakh, Notice the three categories that he uses. He doesn't just say, everything written to me in the Bible. He doesn't just say, everything written to me in the Torah. 
And by the way, he also doesn't say, if you're visiting today or you're not a regular Beth Messiah person, he also doesn't say everything written to me in the Old Testament. Because, you know, even that phrase goes back to that second century and Marcion and that idea that it's old, antiquated, of no use. You see, the, the, the body of Messiah still suffers from that same malady today. They would never, like, say it, but it is how it is. It's not really good for anything. And let me tell you, I was just talking to somebody the other day who said to me that they had a hard time reconciling uh, the uh, God as he's portrayed. This is how they said it. God as he is portrayed in the Old Testament and God as he is portrayed in the New Testament. Meaning that full of wrath and, you know, and hate and murder and mayhem versus the God of love. That's what the person was bringing out. And that is exactly, Luke is actually giving us an antidote to that kind of thinking and teaching, if we would read it clearly, okay? So what's interesting in verse 44 is that he specifically says, law of Moses, prophets, and Psalms. If you're familiar, uh, you know, with these things, with the way that uh, Jewish people understand the scriptures, you have the Torah, the Nevi'im. Hey, does anybody remember? Remember from Sunday morning? Anybody remember? I know I'm throwing that at you. Most of you aren't there on Sunday morning, who's sitting in the front row. Oh, okay. So we learned this in our 11 o'clock uh, uh, little class, right? Not only, remember you heard that they, they all could say the names of the five books of Moses in Hebrew, but every week, every week, we said, okay, Torah, and then we said what those books are, the Nevi'im, which is the prophets, and the Ketuvim, which is the writings. And the biggest book of the writings is the Psalms, right? And so what it tells us historically is that in the early first century, you had at that time the threefold understanding of the Tanakh, the, the, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim. Uh, you know, you can't get more Hamish than that, if you know what that word means, okay? Like at home in Jewish land, you know? Uh, and, and so Luke is, is bringing this out. That's why he quotes Yeshua in this way. And that is why we read what we read in the beginning uh, of the book of Acts. And so finally, let me just say this. The very last thing that, uh, in, in verse 3 anyway, of uh, chapter 1, it says, not only did he speak to them over the period of 40 days, we just looked at, generally speaking, the kinds of things he talked about, speaking to them things concerning the kingdom of God. Concerning the kingdom of God. They understood kingdom of God as the Olam Haba. That's the kingdom of God. It is the continuation of David's kingdom with a new David on the throne. That's what it is. This is the kingdom of, of, uh, of a God. And what Luke is going to show us, uh, and what we read in lots of places, but he, what he's going to show us is the power of Yeshua is not in subjugating nations and peoples, but in his word, in power. And that is how the world gets changed. The world gets changed uh, through the power of the Ruach and not in subjugating peoples. 
Uh, and that's, that's a big topic, but I'm just going to say that. Uh, and so we're on our way here um, uh, in the book of Acts. And just uh, next week, I'll just tell you this. We're going to see that we're going to see what was on the minds when he says this, like wait in Jerusalem. What were they thinking? What were they thinking? Were they thinking, all right, we're going to get the Holy Spirit and then we're going to be able to just have victory in, in the Lord and, 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 and we're going to have, you know, oh, it's going to be great. You know, uh, is that what they were thinking? Or were they thinking, okay, now we're going to get the Ruach and we're going to be empowered to go to all the nations of the world? Or were they thinking something else? I'll give you a hint. They were thinking something else. Okay? So next week, we'll talk about that. All right, let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, we just uh, thank you, God, for this great writing here of Luke and Acts, of uh, the promise of the coming of the Messiah. Thank you, Lord, that when we, when we strip the whole thing of all of the baggage, all of the 2,000 years of cultural and theological baggage, we see this is the promise. This is what our people are waiting for, as, as testified by Moses and Joshua and Samuel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of them, not to mention Akiba uh, and Rashi and Maimonides and even all of them. But oh, how the message has been misunderstood and misapplied. Lord, thank you that you've given us from the hand of Luke a written out testimony in order of what took place. And thank you, God, that you, through all of the machinations of our people, that you are so faithful that what you promised has begun to come to pass. Even as it has been maligned or perverted or changed or misunderstood and th the the things that should be emphasized, de-emphasized, and things that are de-emphasized are emphasized. And Lord, you are still faithful, and we still see a remnant of Israel today for the purpose of blessing the nations. Lord, we thank you for that, and thank you for this word, which will encourage us and empower us uh, uh, in our own calling here at Beth Messiah Congregation. Thank you, and we pray in Yeshua's name.